Folks, please keep your Bibles open there. It might be helpful for us as we look at this passage together, Galatians chapter 5. Let me pray for us while you're looking that up. Father, would you reveal more of yourself to us now through your word? Help us to understand the, the nature and rule of your Holy Spirit as he works in the hearts of believers. And above all, we pray, show us Christ in whom we find our hope. For we pray it in his name. Amen. You know, most of the great novels or kind of movies of our time are that classic story of good versus evil. And in the majority of cases, the bad guys are there, they're stirring up trouble, they're desperately seeking maybe power or fortune. And then always the good guys, they step in, they eventually emerge victorious, and there's usually like a long, wearying struggle. And this kind of pattern of story occurs again and again throughout our culture. Why? Because we love it. We love that story, don't we? We love a story of good conquering evil. And I wonder really is part of the reason why we love it because it's all so familiar to us. This passage in Galatians speaks of an internal struggle that is at play in the hearts of every single believer. So we want to be clear here right at the outset. The moment you become a Christian, that is to say the moment that you become aware of your sin and you look to Jesus Christ as your one and only Savior from that sin, at that precise moment you're given a gift from our Heavenly Father. Jesus calls him the Helper, or the advocate in John 14. He is the Holy Spirit of God, and he comes and he makes his home in your heart, and it's for life. It's permanent. What does he do? Well, he keeps us rooted and connected to Jesus Christ, our, our Savior. He, he does that in different ways. He reminds us of the words that Jesus spoke. He illuminates the scriptures to us, helping us to understand he empowers, he envisions, he emboldens, giving us courage. He enables us to be better followers of Christ. And significantly, what we're thinking about tonight, he helps us fight. He helps us fight against that sin that so easily entangles our hearts, as the writer in Hebrews would say. So even as Christians, those who love the Lord, those who possess this Holy Spirit within us permanently every single day, we still, though, remain susceptible to sin. Our faith in Christ's death and resurrection means that we are saved from the penalty of sin, but not from the presence of sin. And so we struggle, don't we? We struggle day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, to live a life that is pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And you know, the writer, Paul, here, it's easy to kind of think, these guys, they were up here. You know, they didn't struggle with sin. Oh, far from it. Listen to what he says in Romans 7. He says this, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
He says, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar to us, folks? It should. Tonight's passage helps us see why. In verses 16 and 17, if you have it there in front of you, it's as if Paul is describing two fighters ready to enter the ring and do battle. In the blue corner, you have the Holy Spirit of God. And then in the red corner, we have our own sinful nature, which Paul calls the flesh. That's who we are to the very core. We've been born like that. So this flesh then has desires that are sinful, and that is to say they are very much against the will of God. The Spirit, on the other hand, He is pure, and He desires to only please the Lord. So these two fighters, so to speak, they're opposites in every way. What one desires, the other detests, and vice versa. And Paul describes then how they're in constant conflict with one another. They're locked in this battle. And this battle is not actually taking place in a ring somewhere. It's taking place right here in the hearts of every single one of us. We know this to be true, don't we, too? You don't need me to convince you of this. We know we have sin that we struggle with again and again. You know, the Bible is so clear about this. We are creatures of rebellion. And we have rebelled by our very nature against our creator, God. We're tempted every day into sinful, not only word, not only deed, but even thought. But folks, hear this. For those who trust in Jesus, we have this helper, this advocate who lives right here, who makes his home right here. He helps us to fight that battle. And importantly, the great news is this. That battle is already won. Since on the cross, Jesus carried the weight of all of our sin upon his shoulders. So Paul says in verse 24, right at the end of the passage we read, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying our sin no longer has unbridled mastery over us. But even still, in verse 16, he encourages us to walk by the Spirit. That means we cannot simply just go through life with this kind of attitude that says, oh, sure, it doesn't really matter that I sin every day because Jesus has died for my sin. I'm forgiven for it all, so, so why bother? It doesn't matter how I behave. Folks, the hard truth is that if you have that attitude, then that points you to only one reality, that your faith is not real. Because a genuine Christian has that all-important gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he dwells right here. And he's working inside our hearts. 
He's helping us become more and more obedient as a follower of Christ. But it still requires effort on our part. The message here is if we want to conquer the flesh and its desires, then we must yield to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting that our society will literally say the opposite of that. The society around us says that being true to yourself and following your own desires that are deep down within, that is what constitutes freedom. But the Bible says the actual opposite of that. The Bible calls that slavery to sin. And actually it says then that true freedom comes only from yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. And there's a real tension in this passage too, because on the one hand, believers must choose to live their life by the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand then, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually empowers a believer to do that very thing, to live a life that's pleasing to God. So we've got to live by the Spirit, but it requires the Holy Spirit to actually help us to do that. Now, in verse 18, you'll see Paul says, if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Being under the law is not good in the Bible. To be under the law is to be under a curse. And that curse, of course, is sin. So what that means is at the end of our days, when we get to those pearly gates, it's like our lives are going to be unraveled like a big scroll by the Lord himself. And what he's going to do is he's going to compare all of our thoughts, our words, our deeds, everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, and he's going to compare all that against his holy, perfect law. And he's going to decide how righteous we are. I wonder, folks, how does our life compare to the perfect law of God. It doesn't bear thinking about, does it? Being compared against the perfection of Jesus Christ. But Paul says this, for those who are led by the Spirit, those whose faith in Christ is genuine, you're not under the law. For the Christian who has put their trust in another, in Jesus Christ, there is an assurance that their sin has been dealt with once and for all. Now, verses 19 to 21, they make for tough reading. Here, Paul lists 15 acts and then finishes with the phrase, and the like. So, it's not an exhaustive list. It just goes on and on and on. So we can't ever be fooled into thinking, well, you know what? I don't struggle with any of these things that are mentioned here, so I must be doing pretty okay. No, no. Our sins are included in this never-ending list. And here's the big issue that we have. Verse 21, Paul is saying, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, that is to say, those who live with unchecked, unrepentant sin, they will not be saved. Why? Because that person does not have true faith in Christ. 
That person does not know of the Holy Spirit who resides within and helps us wage war against our wickedness. Not so that we look perfect, because we'll never attain that in this lifetime, but He helps us stride forwards, following, following Jesus, our Savior. For those who have put their faith in Christ, it's a totally different story. The Holy Spirit has made His home in that person's heart. He is working to produce fruit that overflows in these beautiful ways. And we heard them read, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these godly qualities, what we see here is that they are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are not the product of human endeavor. It's so important that we grasp this, folks. A believer is not ever called to summon up his or her own strength to live an obedient life. We are empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit who works within us and produces this beautiful, bountiful fruit in our lives. You know, people sometimes think, oh, I, I could never be a Christian because I could never live that good life. You know that phrase, he's good living, she's good living. I could never be that because I just couldn't do that. The truth is actually, they're right. None of us can live like that on our own. But what we don't realize is we are empowered to do this by the indwelling Holy Spirit. He comes. He makes His home in our hearts. He conforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the Son. That's Romans 8 language. We're empowered by Him to live a life that's pleasing to God. You can see why God's grace is just so vital, can't you? We bring, we bring so little to the table. In fact, we bring nothing to the table but sin and rebellion. But the Lord grants us grace in every way. Notice in verse 22, it's fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, plural. It's singular. So these nine virtues are a package deal. If the Spirit of God is working within you, then you will display all nine of these things in some shape or form. So one commentator says that they're like a bouquet of flowers, all arranged on full display. Love is the first one mentioned, and why not, since love is the greatest of all. Love is the mark of new life in Christ. And we read even at the start of our passage tonight, love fulfills all of that law. Joy is also a work of the Spirit. So we rejoice in every circumstance, even in the deepest, most difficult of pains in our lives. We can still have joy. How? Because we know God's grace because we know that God is working for our good. Peace is what Christ has brought between man and God. And peace should reign in Christian community, should it not? Patience, we know patience 
It's when we endure through the struggles of life. Oh, how we need more patience in our lives. Again, we need the Holy Spirit to help us with that, especially in a world of busyness, when we're rushing around from one thing to the next. Kindness. This word kindness is particularly used in the New Testament, uh, speaking of God's kindness in granting us salvation through Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And we actually imitate God as we show generosity then to others, especially when they are not loving in return. That's always difficult. Goodness, it's more of a general term, isn't it? It really speaks of a, like a decency that a believer would have in their life, a moral beauty that shines forth in a corrupted world. We know what faithfulness is, don't we? And that's because we know what unfaithfulness looks like. Maybe someone has been unfaithful to you in your life. It hurts. A person is faithful when they are loyal and dependable. What they say they will do, they do. Gentleness is the opposite of that kind of forceful, harsh behavior. So we don't fly off the handle. We don't give in to rage. We don't deal with people abruptly. We take time. We take care. We show compassion and self-control. Well, that's the ability to restrain ourselves from the desires of the flesh, isn't it? The very sins that Paul is describing in this passage. Folks, these nine virtues, they ought to all be on display in a believer's life. Not always, of course, because we're just never gonna be there. But it's only as a result of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, producing this fruit that we cannot produce on our own. Paul concludes then in verse 25 by encouraging us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That's active. We are involved here. It's not just we sit back and the Holy Spirit takes over and happy days. We don't have to think about this again. We have to endeavor to keep in step with the Holy Spirit who lives within, to continually march to his tune. So we're not on autopilot. We're engaged in this battle, this battle with the flesh that rages on. It's not easy. We're never away from the presence of sin in this lifetime. We will always, every day, every moment, feel the tug of fleshly desire in our hearts. But know this, brothers and sisters, one day, there is a day that is coming when we will sin no more. There is a time coming when we will struggle with our wickedness no longer. Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine waking up in the morning and the temptation just isn't there? Can you imagine a day when the wicked thought just doesn't even enter your mind? When someone does something against you, you just don't even, it's like water off a duck's back. Our joy will be made complete in that day. But until that day comes, we've got to seek God's forgiveness, don't we? 
We've got to repent of that sin. That is to turn away from it and go towards the Lord. We've got to endeavor as hard as we can to live that holy life that pleases the Lord, for He is our King, not us. But all along, we do this trusting in Christ for our salvation. We don't contribute to our salvation in any way. And the Holy Spirit, He helps us. The Advocate, He's with us every moment. He is helping us be obedient as He shows us how to follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we need Your Spirit in our lives. And we thank you for this just most precious of gifts. We thank you that the moment that we turn our eyes to Christ and we say, yes, Lord, I'm trusting in you for my salvation. In that very moment, you don't just leave us, Father, to our own devices, expecting us to plod along on our own. No, far from it. This gift is given. Father, we thank you for sending your spirit to dwell in our lives, and we thank you that it's a permanent residence. We thank you that we don't have to worry that, oh no, tomorrow he might be gone, or next year he might be gone, or in 10 years' time he might be gone. No, no. We thank you that you've promised that the good work you start in us, you will carry on right the way to completion. Father, for those of us here right now, right now who are struggling with sin, and really that's all of us, Lord, we pray for your help. Free us from the temptations that abound. Fix our eyes on Christ, our Redeemer. Make us ever so aware of the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts and helps us every day, every way, to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We pray in his name. Amen.